Good morning. Thank you for joining us for this uh, In Conversation. Uh, I'm Andrew Garham, I'm a solicitor and a director here at GN Law, and with me is... I'm Luke Cowles, I'm also a solicitor and I work in the Actions Against the Police Department. Today we're going to look um, quite briefly at um, the European Convention on Human Rights and exactly how that works and how that affects the law in our country and also consider the effects, if any, of Brexit. And I think the place to start um, is just to explain that it's very easy to get confused between us leaving the European Union and us leaving the European Convention on Human Rights. Uh, they're, they're two separate things. Well, exactly. They? I think the first thing is certainly, um, you know, certainly with my conversations with some of my friends and, and perhaps certainly when you look at the media, it's difficult to tell the difference uh, and people assume they're one and the same. So you've got the ECHR, European Convention on Human Rights, yeah. and that is distinct and completely separate to the EU, European Union, which of course, you know, following uh, the referendum last year, we're now having this Brexit. Now, in short, us Brexiting, us leaving the EU does not prevent us being a signatory to the ECHR, and secondary to that, the ECHR, which you know, has its roots from sort of the 50s, yeah. came into force in the UK, which we can explore a little bit more, via what's called the Human Rights Act. So we've repealed the, the act that brought us into the EU, but we're not repealing, certainly not yet, the Human Rights Act. Uh, and that's very important. But of course, uh, and as we move on in the debate, certainly in the last couple of years, there's been rumblings, um, especially with the current government, about... Yeah taking that second step. So first step, fine, Brexit, it is happening, and that's that. But when it comes to this second step about taking it one step further and getting rid of our sort of involvement or the binding nature of the ECHR into, into sort of domestic law. Um, so yes, I mean, I think not necessarily the best example, but, but just think of it in, in footballing language. To some of my friends, I tell them, you've got one club called Manchester City, one club called Manchester United, but they are two different clubs, even though they've got the name Manchester in them. Yeah. And that's the way to try and think of it in this case. So, uh, just again, just to hopefully not labouring the point, just to make sure it's perfectly clear to anyone watching. The, the position is this, we can brace it in two years' time. Um, uh, we are filming this currently in May 2017. So if, if we break it by April, May of 2019, then if nothing else changes, we will still be a signatory to the European Convention on Human Rights. You can still argue your convention rights in courts in this country. Yes. Now, until, again, I, th I think it's, it's helpful... And that to... Human Rights Act will still be in place because it's a separate That's act. right. So the Human Rights Act 1998 came into uh, force a couple of years later. And, but, and what that does is it allows barristers and solicitors in this country to go into co courts in this country and actually argue Article 2, Article 3, Article 8, and before our courts, until the Human Rights Act um, came in, they couldn't do that. If a, Euro if a UK court made a decision which um, somebody thought was contrary to the Convention, then having failed at all levels in this country, you would then bring a separate case exactly. to Europe. And if you won in Europe, if you won in the European Court of Human Rights, then this government or, or this, this country would have a, a duty to 
rectify or change the laws in this country to be compliant. Yes. Uh, and, and so that there was um, I mean, they, uh, they parity were not, between the two laws. Exactly. So, so prior to Human Rights Act in 1998, the decision as such wasn't binding in the same way or... No. Whereas but, now... But now it is. It's what's, what's known as directly applicable. So yep. if, if you have a European the, judgment, you exactly. can use it in these And, and from the very start, when you first issue a claim, <clears throat> even into a local county court... You can make your European Convention arguments straight away. You don't have to sort of exhaust British courts and then only suddenly bring in Convention right arguments when you run off to Strasbourg, which is where the European Court is. Uh, and that's one thing that's important. Um, looking at the next thing, I mean, of course, you know, we won't talk too much about Brexit. It feels a bit of an exhausted debate to some degree, mm. but I think it's about the landscape of of where our country's going and, and unfortunately you know it has divided the nation quite yeah. a lot in in, yeah. this, in this regard I mean there's no doubt that, that that certainly part of the groundswell that led up to brexit was um, uh, people feeling that there was too much influence from mm. Europe and it was influ- influence that, that wasn't wasn't the right type of influence and certainly um, a move towards more self-governance or, or yeah. less external influence upon how our country operates mm. um, and certainly uh, there's the current Conservative government yes. if we still have a Conservative government uh, uh, in a few weeks time obviously there's an election coming up at, as exactly. at the time of filming this in May 2017 with Labour's manifesto having been linked uh, leaked rather only you know literally a few days ago and yeah. certainly uh, question time yesterday obviously explored that quite a bit about some of the differences and practicalities which we can touch on you know with, with, within the context of that human rights act as well but yeah but yes but the the, the conservative government um have certainly uh, issued uh, a paper um pre-brexit as, as i read it um setting out quite expressly that their intention and certainly, I, I assume it will remain their intention if they remain in government um, next month uh, to repeal the Human Rights Act, to remove this ability that solicitors and barristers currently have now to directly argue in this courts in this country, um, uh, jurisprudence, what we lawyers call it, or case law that has come before the European Court of Human Rights. So that if, if the Human Rights Act is repealed and um, the uh, fresh legislation that the Conservative, Conservative government want to bring in comes to pass, um, then this direct applicability of, of European Court of Human Rights law will stop. So we will effectively wind back to where we were before. Um, but one thing that this paper makes clear is that in order to change our position and repeal the Human Rights Act and, and come and go back to a, a pre-Human Rights Act position, that will require the approval of the Council of Europe. Um, and this document, again, makes it perfectly clear that if, if that approval is not forthcoming, then the intention, clear intention, would be to remove ourselves as signatories to the European Convention on Human Rights. It goes on to say that that won't be a big problem because the new Bill of Rights um, and responsibilities that the, that the Conservatives intend to bring in will enshrine and cover all the essential rights um, that were set out initially back in the, the Convention in 1950. Well, I, think, I think that's certainly what, um, what some people say is if you've got all those rights already enshrined in the ECHR, 
why withdraw it and then supposedly rewrite the whole thing in its entirety exactly as it is but of course that's part and parcel of do we want British courts making our decisions only and you know little right to go outside of Britain mm. or, or, or having sort of a sort of top level European court as, as the overall matter um, and certainly I think um, you know the British Bill of Rights is, is the sort of mooted document I think that's right isn't it and, mm. and yeah, I mean, it, th- th- there's a number of points. It's only, a, it's only an eight-page document. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll be able to find it online. It's called Protecting Human Rights in the UK, the Conservatives' Proposals for Changing Britain's Human Rights Laws. I mean, certainly, don't get me wrong, my opinion, I'm not going to sit on the fence. I do not want the Human Rights Act repealed, um, as I'm sure yourself as a, as no, a human yeah, rights I think, I think it's, 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 done a, it's done a lot of good, and I think my, my anxiety would be about what, what would replace it. Yes, exactly. Um, and there's, there's no doubt that there's been a number of decisions of the European Court of Human Rights that the Conservative government expressly set out a, a number of examples in this paper, which they clearly don't agree with. Um, they clearly didn't um, like at all the European Court of Human Rights getting involved in um, prisoners and voting and issues along those lines um, and a number of other examples um, another one, one quite a um, uh, newsworthy example I suppose it, it, that, that's given in this paper is um, of a prisoner who's committed um, a crime uh, serving his sentence in this country and then avoiding extradition uh, back to his native country at the end of serving his sentence because he invoked his Article 8 rights in this country, the right to private and family life, and argued that he should be allowed to stay. And the government clearly won't. Uh, and I think his offence was murder, so it wasn't... It was a very, very serious, serious offence. One of obviously the most serious offence, perhaps, that, you, that, that, that can be committed outside of terrorism offences. Um, and so serious offence, very strong desire on the part of the government government to send this person home and extradite him at the end of it he had no right to stay in this country um, but he successfully used his article 8 rights in, in the courts in this country uh, to, to remain and their view is that certainly that sort of opportunity and, and, and uh, the, the end to that case that he was able to achieve they're quite clear in saying that would not be possible under their new uh, Bill of Rights and, and Responsibilities so there clearly would be Change. They clearly want to re- rein back upon the extent to which human rights, in their view, um, has perhaps um, run riot. But but in short, it's going to be a big blow to, to human rights in our country. And that, that where we've got to today, hmm. it it is a backward step. Um, certainly, as I look at it, I, I, I can't see... Well, the, 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 this is... I mean, that, the, what you just say there touches upon the issue that I just thought didn't makes no sense in this paper whatsoever and that it starts by saying look the European Convention of Human Rights was set up in 1950 there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then we've been through the Cold War we've come out into the 21st century and of course by nature it coming in 1950 is off the back of World War II, World War II yeah, which, you know, because prior to that of course you've got the you know the UN Declaration of Human Rights which is mm. which will still exist and we're still a signatory too but yeah. Yes, I mean, it comes out of those sort of horrible events. And, and you were saying about, you know, the Cold War since and, and, and it obviously going through some of the history. But what they were saying was at the start is, look, 
a lot's changed since 1950, so we need a new human rights law. But then they go on to criticise the European Court of Human Rights of effectively developing and extending the scope of human rights protection offered by the Convention. That logically, the European Court of Human Rights have extended and developed the law... To modernise it. In, in order so to it's mod- not 1950 anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So the European Court, I'm sure, would argue and take the view, as, as certainly I would take the view, that... Um, the law has developed to, to move with the times. Absolutely. And, so and, they're trying, need, and human need rights to has session. to be proactive. You know, yes, I mean, I agree completely. They've moved with the times in that argument. And so it's, it seems whilst they're trying to use it as an argument for themselves, it's actually a counter-argument saying, well, self-evidently, when they have been willing to get involved in you know, controversial issues and they have taken a proactive approach... That is them thinking about the modern landscape, not about how it may have been in the past, but how it should be dealt with. And it, and it, it is there to try and impose higher standards as, we, as, as time moves on, and that can only be a benefit. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt anything, anything that comes in that is new certainly isn't going to extend the rights that have, that have been established in, in, in recent years with, with, with case law. Um, and the chances are that a number of rights that people do have at the moment and enjoy at the moment will be removed. Yes. Um, it's impossible for me to speculate on what those might be, um, but there's little doubt that there are plenty of examples of cases which, which wouldn't have come about had we not been able to use the Human Rights Act. Well, absolutely, and, and, it, and it also means that when problems have perhaps first appeared in other countries and they've been able to use the ECHR to, to take it to the European Court in that regard and, and a positive decision to be made, it might mean, or it has meant in, in many situations, we've been able to use that rationale before we've had it as a problem in our country as well. And, and that in of itself isn't a bad thing because at the end of the day, problems that can arise in Germany, France, can arise in our country as well. And it shouldn't necessarily be that once they've spotted it, had a decision in the European Court, we need to wait for that problem to happen in our own country and then litigate the exact same thing all over again rather than being able to sort of borrow or, or use, you know, within law, of course, the Human Rights Act, but, but use that positive decision so that we never get to having the problem in the first place. I mean, it, it benefits from more minds. So that's never a bad thing. But, you know, while it's, it's difficult to predict the, the, the future with the general move away from European oversight, I would be very surprised if the Human Rights Act is not repealed. Yes. Um, OK, that might be very different if we have a, a Labour government next month, but um, if the Conservatives stay in, I, I would be flabbergasted if we still have the Human Rights Act in, at the end of their next session. Yes. The next, you know, four or five I, I years. I mean, I think it's fair to say... I think Labour, Liberal Democrats, albeit we don't necessarily get SNP candidates here, but the SNP up in Scotland, Ply Cymru, they're all parties that want to keep the Human Rights Act. And that's non-exhaustive, you know, Green Party. But yeah. um, so, you know, I'm not mentioning all of them, but, but all of those sort of, I suppose, are more, more Liberal parties, if you like, they want to keep the Human Rights Act. They, they've said as much and... You know, obviously, in preparation of this video, and, and just generally, um, you know, you've got quotes from a lot of senior figures within those parties who did express 
sort of opinions and reservations about repealing the Human Rights Act. And certainly, you know, within the context of ourselves as lawyers, uh, within police actions as well as other human rights areas, um, it's fair to say we're all fairly of the same view in regards to hmm. it being overall a backward step. Um, but but yes, I mean, the Conservatives obviously have that view and, and that's it doesn't appear to have gone away. They're sort of pocketing it for the moment because of Brexit. And, and I think uh, the Attorney General recently, I think in the last sort of couple of months after the sort of Brexit appeal at the Supreme Court, he's mentioned things like, you know, well, we've got a lot on our plate at the moment, but it's very much not we've changed our mind or we're not intending to do it. It's just simply we can't do everything at once, so let's deal with Brexit. Yeah. But once Brexit is over and, and perhaps the aftermath is, is sort of known a bit more, then this plan will get revisited. Um, especially they're going to have five years come, you know, if they win, they're going to have five years come June, a, a new five years. Brexit's going to be done in the first two to three years. That still leaves them a couple yeah, of years yeah, yeah. left in the parliament to, to sort of bring it back on the table. So, so that's whereas obviously if the election hadn't happened, then 2020 there's a new election. So, pretty much you'd have a new election by the time Brexit's finished, and they probably wouldn't have had time to start implementing any changes between now and 2020. Bearing in mind it's only two, three years away. So we're certainly in uh, in changing times, and the changes might not yet have have. Um ended or, or finished or no, have uh, shown, shown their face on the horizon. So watch this space. Thank you for watching the video. I hope you found it helpful. Um, there are other uh, In Conversation videos on this site. Um, feel free to watch some of those. You might find them useful. Otherwise, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. This video is designed to be a brief introduction to the topic that it covers and we hope you found it useful. It aims to be informative and to assist people to take the next step in solving the legal problem that they may have. This video does not constitute legal advice and does not seek to solve specific legal issues. If you have a specific legal problem that you need solved, you should take expert legal advice from a solicitor.